Joseph. I'm player number two on this Death Card adventure, Peter. And our silent but also musical partners are uh, come to you every week. Uh, they are uh, Ian and Sarah. They are the ones that actually created the purposefully bad recorder intro that uh, you hear with all of our episodes. They also did a even more banging uh, version for our Picard episodes that we did. So good. We, we could many more. It's perfect. You perfect. know, a lot of other podcasts out there like like have a very clear mission statement or uh, that elevator pitch they read off at the beginning of every podcast. We don't do that. And I always feel silly when we like try to do a recap on the off chance someone would start with that one episode. But it's it's got to be confusing, I think, for people to come and hear that fucking intro <laughs> and not fuck? know and not know it's supposed to be shit. Um, I, I, I think, though, it's a, in, in, a, in one sense, it's like a litmus test. Like, if you know that <laughs> that that seems like that was bad on purpose, then you're our kind of guy or girl mm. or whatever. Uh, so uh, it's it's a secret test, a secret V'ger please passcode, if you will. Uh, that it is. You started talking about Picard, uh, which takes us to Kurtzman. We got some <laughs> fucking skeletons in our closet on that one. But uh, there is still new Trek coming out. And we haven't really talked about uh, modern Star Trek in a couple of episodes. And I want to take a minute before we get started on this week's Voyager. To touch base, and it's, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this in the wake of us doing the Galaxy Quest Patreon episode, that it's interesting that when you say Star Wars, you're talking about Lucasfilm-specific Star Wars, right? There's There's nothing else in the world that's Star Wars except for Star Wars, right? Okay, but yeah. you get into Star Trek, and it's like... Trek isn't just Trek like Galaxy Quest. I think we agree is Trek and Orville. Oh, yeah. I, I maintain that Orville is Trek. As, and I'm uh, sure more Trek than Trek has been lately. I would yeah, say. I was about to say, I'm sure there's a couple people out there who might argue that Picard was somehow Trek. Uh, misguided souls. <laughs> we tried to bring them to the light. <laughs> we tried to bring them to the light while also severely impacting our listener base. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Much to our chagrin. Yeah, what um, a terrible fucking idea that was. Hey, look, we keeps it real. Uh, anyways, there's uh, there's a new show in the pipe, and that's going to be Lower Decks. And we have talked about Lower Decks before uh, as kind of like the last chance we think that this current show running team might have to, to put some good track out there. It's being done by one of the Rick and Morty writers. More importantly, uh, the feather in his hat to pay attention to is the Star Trek uh, podcast uh, TNG season eight, which I'm pretty is sure that was uh, was it a podcast or just a Twitter? Account? I'm sorry, I think it was, it was a Twitter account. I didn't mean to say podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a Twitter. It was a funny Twitter account of like goofy uh, TNG episode ideas. Goofy yet kind of accurate. Yeah, kind like, of plausible. The kind of jokes a fan would make, you know? Yeah. And it definitely gave you that that sense of when they picked that guy to do a cartoon that is inspired by the idea of the TNG episode Lower Decks of focusing instead 
of on the high ranking members of a of a ship on the low ranking uh, junior officers and their exploits uh, that it seemed like a good idea, you know, like when they got announced, that was definitely something I'm like, this could be finally something they explore that that hits all the right notes. So and then I noticed this week that the uh, trailer came out. Now, I'm notorious in avoiding trailers because I know what I'm going to watch. And if I'm going to watch something, I avoid the trailers because why rob yourself of the opportunity to see the material as it's initially intended in the episode and instead just kind of ruin the good parts uh, in a trailer? If it's, if it's a movie I'm on the fence about, maybe I'll watch a trailer. But like all this new Star Wars stuff, I, I avoided like the plague. This one, you know, we watched because we have a Star Trek podcast and, you know, it's our it's our obligation to talk about Star Trek. But um, I, I would say it it cooled me off a little bit because I was pretty hot on the idea of this show. Uh, seeing it, I would have liked it to have a bigger splash than it did. But uh, Trek is Trek and I'm willing to get everything a, a fair shot. Um, the animation style very Rick and Morty, but also very like gravity fall. It had a Nickelodeon feel. It, it felt a little too kid oriented for what is very clearly an adult cartoon. Uh, I can get around that. A couple of the voices seemed very Nickelodeon, very Disney, Disney Jr., which I've been subjected to a lot of courtesy of my daughter. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, there's been some some doubt thrown on my opinion that I had previously formed, but uh, I'm willing to give it that shot. Where to land for you? I hated it. Um, <laughs> I really did. I I clicked on it, Furious Abandon, and couldn't have felt more disappointed, to be completely honest. Um, it seems like a combination of the worst elements of Rick and Morty combined with that sort of we want to play it safe corporate kind of attitude as far as where they're going to go with the jokes mm. um and i i so let me back this up a little bit i i feel like rick and morty was a fantastic show for two seasons uh the first season was absolute gas second season was very good um but it it um it fell prey to its own success and kind of sniffing its own farts. And of course its fans are notoriously just like the worst people. Yeah. And all of these things started to combine where season three just felt like it was just wallowing in its bullshit way too much to be enjoyable. And I just stopped watching it. Like just, just, this isn't fun anymore. It was fun because it was a, you know, really dark comedy, zany adventure, you know, adult cartoon. And then the second season kind of gave it a plot and, I, you know, gave it a little bit of heart and gave it a little bit of meaning. And it, it was just sincere enough that, like, you got invested and then they just kind of kick, kick their own dick into the dirt just to well, show how edgy they were. Deeper, I will say I've been watching Rick and Morty the whole time, and I, I think that it does make a strong comeback. And I have really enjoyed the past two seasons. So you might if you have uh, some free time on your hands, check back in. but. Uh, I, I agree with some of the initial observations you've made so far that it does seem to be dipping its toes in the worst of both worlds. Yeah. And, and so it seems to be, uh, wanting to do the, 
the least appealing parts of Rick and Morty, which is, hey, look at my shocking humor, you know, moments. And which is it's just fine as a contrasting point to like the best jokes on Rick and Morty are the ones that are just just make your jaw drop. Right. Like, I'll never forget the one where they do the re- virtual reality game where they you play you're an entire lifetime of a guy, <laughs> you know, and like Morty comes in and is like, I had kids like he's obviously super bewildered by the experience and and Rick is super casual about it. Like th- those kinds of jokes are the best ones on Rick and Morty that they're playing with these super sci-fi ideas and just, you know, go in a wild direction with it. The, the least exciting ones are like the easy jokes and it was just filled with the easy jokes. And it was also trying to not be too edgy because Rick and Morty season one, and season two, they are some raw ass shit that they did because no one cared. Right. Because no one was paying attention to what they were doing. It was just like on adult swim. They're like, fuck, hope this is good. Right. And it just took off. Once that happens, now all of a sudden it's much more managed property. Kind of kind of tone it down a little bit. Give it a little bit of a different direction. Well, you know, this is a CBS thing. It's going to CBS All Access. Everyone knows everyone's going to look at it. So they don't want to go too far, right? They got to keep it, keep it kind of in a spot where, you know, no one's going to get offended, but you, but you still want to, you still want it to be fun. And uh, that, that worst, it's the worst kind of, over management, corporate over management of a product like that. That, um, yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be good at being a Rick and Morty clone, and it's not going to be good at being Star Trek. And I don't care. <laughs> That's well, it. like I said, That's my I'm willing take, to give man. it a shot. Uh, hopefully, you're wrong. Hopefully, we're both wrong. And I'll, I'm going to let you watch it. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not going for uh wasting my time on anything else like i'm not watching another second of discovery i would sooner die than watch another second of picard wow Um, this is big talk coming from joe the completionist who has spoken as a pride point that he has watched all official trek uh media this is radical departures yeah i know i i have the completionist and i've i've stuck by that through some you know, watching season two of Discovery was a trial, um, but I, I can't do it anymore. So if it's good and you tell me it's good, I might give it a shot. I'll say that. I'm not going to totally shut the door, but you're going to have to come out and say, Joe, my dear friend, I'm not lying to you. This is not a troll. I'm not trying to cause you pain. You should watch this and then I'll watch it and then I'll find out you lied to me and I'll be like, I deserve that. <laughs> speaking of suffering that we deserved what did we watch this week season five episode 13 gravity i fucking killed that intro man Whew. That, wow. that, that transition was smooth yeah I fucking like butter. that shit so good it, um, you know what's also smooth as butter uh the reliability of our uh writers being able to shit out an episode where for some reason they make tuvok the goddamn emotional focal point again I forget. Did you say this was supposed to be a good episode at the end of our previous episode? Because I want to no, say you had. I didn't remember it at all. Don't blame this shit on me. I see what you're trying to do. Don't you? Blame I'm blaming this shit it on, on you because no, you're the one you. who picked no. up that we do Voyager. I want to do. <laughs> okay. All right. Orville, yeah, you, wanna... you want to do Voyager? We're here because of you. There is some great stuff here. There's some solid potential. Uh, there is a really cool pre, uh, interstellar time dilation, uh, mechanic at play, which I was very impressed with that, that sci-fi stuff is good. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. And then I feel like Tom Paris just ruins the entire goddamn thing with uh, a lot of help from Lori Petty's voice, which is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, it doesn't help that this is basically a replay of, of uh, an episode from season three, Alter Ego, uh, where Tuvok is, you know, in a person is in love with Tuvok and Tuvok is obviously unable to return that person's affections. Different premise otherwise, but essentially the same story beats. Was Alter uh, that, Ego the uh, the the lizard catfish? Yes, the lizard catfish lady. Mm. They're like going through the nebula and she's lonely. And so she's in like a hip uh, uh, Polynesian surfer chick yeah. <laughs> on the holodeck. That was a good episode. This one was not. Uh, we open up with a strong point for the episode, and that is young renaissance festival tuvok yes uh we've got tuvok back in his i don't know early teens whatever that would be in vulcan years he's got some really rad renfair garb on and he has wandered into what appears to be a set piece from everquest one i believe it's something along the lines of the high elf city (laughs) or is that just the cave where you did all your trading remember that like in EverQuest one before there was any like actual marketplace, there was just that that cave where everyone just kind of stood there and like put you know shouted emotes of what they had to trade. Yeah, Remember that that was Freeport Harbor, man. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I thought it was a, I, I you know this I'm here we're here, we're all about reminiscing here at Vijay Please, obviously. So uh, you know I'm trying to reach back probably what twenty three years, twenty four years. It's, yeah, EverQuest a was a really interesting like the dawn of of internet culture and society and like so many because it was such a a wild west like when left to their own devices like how do people sculpt the world around them and and make things you know make a marketplace where there was no marketplace so uh i've got a lot of interesting memories from everquest and yeah the, the, the beginning of this really did invoke a strong EQ feel because it was a hokey ass looking set with uh, torchlight <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah, um, and a skeleton that will immediately murder you. Anyway, yeah. So uh, let's let's just discuss this plot line real quick. In the the earlier timeline, and this is a uh, two box troubled youth very special episode. Uh, we find that Tuvok has fallen in love with a four armed girl. What are they? Trellians? Is that what it is? So there's a Trellian hanging out on Vulcan uh, with his his daughter, who he has enrolled in the local Vulcan high school. And Tuvok has infected himself with love. And as a result, he has abandoned logic and is giving into his desires and reveling in his exploration of emotions. And as a result, uh, he gets kicked out of school and his father disowns him and he gets sent to like, uh, like, uh, I don't know, juvenile detention. Yeah, he's basically in, in Vulcan uh, shame prison. It's not really a shame prison. It's uh, I don't know what the right way to really describe this is, but, you know, there's a a, a, a sage old logic wizard. It's kind of like the last line of defense where he reverse psychologies, the wayward youth of Vulcan into rediscovering the necessity of logic. And 
they don't really they don't really focus on it but you know with our previous viewings of voyager specifically blood fever um you know it's one way to look at the vulcans is saying it's a shame that they don't embrace their emotion and it's unfair that you know young tuvok has these feelings and he's going to suppress them and really kind of paints vulcans to look like this this emotionally dead asshole cult that you know forces these goofy values onto their children you know because at the end of the every vulcan centric episode you're always like spock had the excuse of like well he's half human like you, you want to see those emotions burn through you always want to see the person without emotions have the emotions and have that gratifying point tuvok one of the rare examples of like a full-blooded vulcan that doesn't have these physiological capabilities or reasons to explore that and then we know again through blood fever that like yeah when these guys don't stick to their logic when they do get emotional like it gets it gets bad ugly yeah real bad so this is really kind of his last chance or his only chance to get his life back on the rails or he is going to turn into a real piece of shit so you know like i said the the old wizardly guy uh, play some reverse psychology and he's basically the anti-rape wizard basically you know <laughs> he's he's the guy making sure that vulcans that come to him they you know they don't rape nobody it's like scared straight i guess would be the right yeah, way it's scared straight for vulcans yeah mm-hmm. um so by the end of the episode through the flashbacks we find out that um he is able to reassert uh the logical governance of his thoughts there's some very specific uh, dialogue from the old wizard to young Tuvok that very literally says that love is the gateway drug that leads to, you know, Vulcan. Love, love that... leads to hate. Hate leads to anger. Mm-hmm. Anger leads to suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a real Yoda. Some moment. fucking Jedi shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I it get works it. Well. I am making fun of it, but it actually does work. It's it's good, and it does put a lot of the Vulcan hand wringing we see in these other episodes. Like, no, I can't give in to temptation. Like, it's legit, and and these are people who have a genetic predisposition to go fucking ape shit and kill people and rape and pillage and whatever. And if they don't stick to this, uh, they're a real problem. So, and and, and I think that's conveyed relatively well, but like that the the emotion wizard you know conveys like i have emotions all vulcans have emotions no one's suggesting you shouldn't have them where what he was trying to communicate to him is like your future if you choose not to control them is to be terrible and you don't want that that's bad for everybody it's bad for you it's bad for everyone around you you might murder some people you know cuz you're just going to be real angry all the time it's mm-hmm. going to be bad. So you shouldn't Shirts do that. are going to get ripped. It's going to be bad. Yeah. You're going to bite uh, a Klingon at some point and then some just bad things will happen. I thought all the stuff was good in this storyline. I think the young actor and we're always quick to shit on the bad young actors. This kid holds his own and does well. I like to see him again at some point, um, whether it's as Tuvok or Tuvok's child or Someone else completely different, but he was good. And uh, Master Emotional Yoda Wizard was good. 
and yeah that that was a that was a strong point in the episode and this is all laying the groundwork for why 80 years later or whatever Tuvok is so strict about never giving in to emotion where the episode itself picks up on is going to be a portion of Southern California that's rather arid with some big boulders, not a water plant in sight. Uh, And we see a woman wandering the wastes in a Mad Max type skin tight leather outfit. That's I'm sure a real joy to wear under the the brutal sun. (laughs) Yeah, it looks looks basically like a discount version of a still suit from Dune. You know, it tried to, Kind of give that vibe off, but instead it just kind of looks, looks like it the looks rubies. Like <laughs> look like the rubies Halloween like costume in a bag version of of the still suit from Dune, and then she's got a pillowcase wrapped around her head. I think we see her put out a little doodad that attracts a spider, and then she catches it with some sort of kitchen instrument. And uh, as she's busy fiddling around with this spider. We see, believe it or not, a Federation shuttle crash land on the surface. Everyone is shocked and (laughs) everything is terrible. And, you know, how could this happen? How could it happen that a dependable type two whatever Federation shuttle Mm -hmm. crashes in the Delta Quadrant? These are are sturdy and reliable pieces of equipment. It's the just fier- a tragedy. The the Fieri of uh, Starfleet. That was that the it was a Fieri. Fieri was the the half-assed Pontiac Firebird that if you hit him in the back they'd blow up, right? I was gonna say it's more of a Fiat. Um, you know, that's kind of my interpretation, but you know, hmm. maybe maybe uh, more of a what's the a smart car? <laughs> Those tiny little box cars that look like they would just like. Absolutely fold like seven two unsuited in a highway accident, <laughs> like dangerous as hell. Yeah, well, that's Starfleet for you. Um, and only the best, right? When you've got three major members of your crew, why put them out in the Delta Flyer that's specifically built to put up with some Delta Quadrant bullshit? You're gonna put them in the the standard Federation death cart. Um, our our desert bondage lady. We'll go in to investigate. And this shuttle's pretty fucked up. Like it, the back door has completely ripped off. The internal control panels are all smashed up. They really fucked the shuttlecraft setup pretty good for this thing. Um, she starts to pillage and plunder, and when you know it, old Tom Paris comes walking back in, gets mugged. We get a good throwaway line in there that uh what is it? Uh <laughs> robbery seems to be a local pastime. <laughs> yes she steals his med packs and then uh, as she's wandering away she gets robbed by some guys who what i call them the crusties i think the crusties are like uh lizard headed scabby crusty look, looking guys yeah they look s- somewhat familiar are they kind Gemma of Dark, like, actually oh no they weren't well i guess like i just i associate a very specific uh look with the Gemadar since they're such a major figure. They kind of this kind of look like an almigation of a lot of other Delta Quadrant crusty headed dudes. They weren't remarkable in any way. I guess is the way I would describe them, if that makes sense. So he is in some real trouble 
and uh, you know we're, we're back to the season five disposable asshole alien races, right? Started in night with the garbage men, of course, the best of the disposable bad guys who are literally the most polluting space. <laughs> disappointing of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these guys will have a very terrible fate awaiting for them with no compassion from their friends still up in outer space. Uh, but we need to know that they're bad guys. So they surround her. It's clear that they've got no good intentions for her. But before they can finally close the gap and take her hostage to do all sorts of terrible things with her, a Vulcan ninja flips onto the scene. Yeah, we get a pretty rad fight scene with uh, Tuvok laying down the all-star moves of Star Trek karate on all of the the scalehead. Uh, I think the race is completely unnamed. I don't think they actually even get a name. They're the, the scabbies. The scabbies. He lays the fucking beating on the scabbies is what I'm saying. He just goes full, uh, you know, sweaty uh, back alley uh, bewilder kung fu mode and it's great no because back alley bewilder fights and we're talking about uh random thoughts is where uh tuvok gets accosted by a couple of unemployed jc penny sales associates <laughs> who managed to somehow beat the superhuman ninja machine to a pulp uh as opposed to here where he like kicks the shit out of like a dozen Mad Max scavengers. It, it's interesting that you just brought up random thoughts, too, because I was about to say, like, every time Tim Russ or Tuvok is involved in some sort of action sequence, it's always good. You jump back to uh, was it season one or season two where portion of the crew gets replaced by like celestial possession. That's season one. Yeah, that was the one where uh, Chakotay is uh, trying to like spiritually guide everybody, you know, yeah. using the Oregon Trail, and we find <laughs> out that there's a there's a uh, a security camera in Med Bay, in Med Bay. for that one episode. <laughs> for that one episode, <laughs> not later when the doctor is trying to make sure he doesn't get tampered with. No, no, not then. He yeah. set up his own. Well, he doesn't spy trust that camera. camera. <laughs> he needs he needs spy tech for that one. Uh, but that was like a really really good fight scene with phasers and like all sorts of sweet stuff and that is I was still probably the best fight scene in the whole show like legit like the fight choreography and the way it ends where he just blasts the room with a face with a hand phaser on like, wide dispersal wide dispersal like that is still the best fight scene i think we've seen in the whole show i cannot dispute that fact and i would say that short of picard's early entries uh when uh dosh or whatever is fighting the the romulans and again picard had a, a much different theme and budget and action choreography to 2020 standards like i won't take anything away from the fight scenes in picard aside from picard that that episode of uh voyager that we were just talking about um that that's probably the best fight scene in like all of pre-picard trek which is crazy. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in Berman era Trek that beats that. And I'm not, nothing is coming to mind um, as far as like the choreography is concerned. Yeah. So and, Tim and, Russ... and for all, all of my hate for everything else that the pilot episode of Picard's fight scenes were gas. They were great. <laughs> They're fucking amazing, man. 
uh, the the ones where the Tal Tal Shiar Shiar gets fucked up <laughs> by the regular Tal Shiar vineyard dudes. Like that was oh, yeah, dope yeah. with guns taped all over the place. Yeah, yeah, like literally the 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 Tal Shiar guys just littered the entire chateau with firearms for just such an occasion. <laughs> Those guys great. were great. <laughs> uh, all right, and that's where we got to stop talking about Picard, otherwise it's gonna yes. get ugly. Um, so again, uh, great fight, and Tim Russ when he gets involved in this stuff, and I think it's again the the dedication he has to like the Vulcan bullshit buy-in as an actor and that he's actually a fan and wants to see it done justice. Like pretty cool. So he kicks the fuck out of all these guys and then uh, puts his hand out and says, Hey, you know, I want to be your friend. We found out earlier in the episode that something happened and the universal translators don't work, which again, I don't really know where the universal translators exist, if they're built into the com badges, if they're implants in the ears, whatever. But both Tuvok and Tom do not understand what this lady is saying. But he uh, gets her to go back to the shuttlecraft. They reunite with Tom. Tom's like, whoa, she just ripped us off. He's like, well, she's on our side now. And we need to get the fuck out of here because there's more baddies coming. And odds are she's been here longer and she's probably got a good lay of the land and someplace safe to go. So off they go to what will become a some sort of downed cargo transport van that for whatever reason still has a working force field and for whatever reason in this mad max hellhole full of uh violent hunter gangs they have not just made a permanent camp outside of her little fort to wait for her to put the shields down and jump her this lady is named nas and is played by as you mentioned none other than tank girl herself lori petty yep who has the world's most annoying voice great for tank girl fantastic for tank girl perfect for that movie uh perfect for uh orange is the new black but boy oh boy did i hate it here i hated it so much peter um, I didn't think every- we would get a worse famous 90s star than um, what's her face from uh, Future's End. Uh, damn it. What's her name? Oh. Virginia Madsen? No, the fucking comedian that was the space observatory that was working for Ed Bagley Jr. Oh, uh, Sarah Silverman? <laughs> Sarah Silverman. I didn't think we could do worse than Sarah Silverman, but then we played the Andy Dick card, and now if there's <laughs> one wor- one voice out there worse than Andy Dick's, it's Lori Petty. And Yeah, I mean, well, let's be real. Uh, if we're ranking annoying coast, you know, uh, Voyager guest stars, uh, I thought that uh, Sarah Silverman is uh, was fantastic. Uh, and and Andy Dick was perfectly, you know, cast as an awkward robot man. Like they're clearly better than Laurie Petty. <laughs> Laurie Petty was just fucking annoying. Yeah, and it's such a a soft touch role too because it is going to turn into Tuvok's love interest. That having someone with a electric can opener for a voice. Yeah, like oh, just why her? I again, I think <sighs> it's that you know they were anxious to jump on any big name and work it in wherever they could is to she, get those eyeballs. Is she a big name, though? I mean, like, Tank Girl is the biggest thing she did, and it was a bomb movie that came out, what? 95? So, and like, four is, years before this? Because this was 99? So, you know, she's still a very recognizable name, 
and she's depreciated from her peak by five years, which puts her into UPN budget brackets. And, you know, I I don't blame them for trying to play that popularity card, uh, but boy, it's it was it's distracting from here out. Uh, the other thing that's distracting for me is the the turtlenecks. I hate these fucking purple turtlenecks that they use in Voyager and they used on Deep Space Nine. Uh, I think they're I think the uniforms as a whole are ugly and terrible, and a big part of it is these turtlenecks. And like, as this episode goes on, we find out that there's like three different layers to the uniform. There's the black jacket with the division colors on the shoulder and then they have like a long sleeve turtleneck which magically <laughs> becomes a zip down purple jacket with a zipper that does not exist uh but will magically appear as they zip it down and then they've got the um the the tank tops underneath uh and we will be spending quite a bit of time on the surface of this planet i think they end up being there what three months yeah it was i think it might be longer it's at least three months. And and the yeah. takeaway in all of this is that the real crappiness of network television throwaway episode rears its head and that there's zero continuity here. Nobody's hair gets an inch longer. Tom never has a beard. Uh, and these guys are just wearing the same clothes every day, all day, in and out. I don't see any wash machines. I don't even see any fucking river to like wash your clothes off in. So it's some real half-ass passage of time uh that we get treated to here and yeah these uh these turtlenecks are front and center the entire time i hate them i I don't know why it stands out as such a big part of this episode to me uh but between those and tank girl that's that can be our episode named tank girls and magic zippers i like that title and i kind of almost just want to spend the rest of our time talking about the, the the forgotten gem that was tank girl I, I don't know if people even know about that movie. They have to. Uh, it, it had, I, thought, I, I think they do. I think people know about it. But I, I thought I the first it's... scene of, of showing Nas where she puts the that like crinkled out like it, it kind of looks like tremors, right? Like the, the thing that attracts the spider out, right? It right. makes some sort of seismic activity. The spider comes out and she hits it with this like three pronged doodad that like catches the spider. And when she pulled that thing out initially, I'm like, man, that really looks like those things from uh, Tank Girl that the bad guy would jam into people and it would suck all the water out of it. So when it turned out to be fucking Tank Girl in the thing, I was like, whoa, like that had to be intentional, right? Guy, I guess you're right. Yeah, that had to be intentional. Tank Girl seems like the kind of movie that has fans in like that work in the industry, you know, that makes sense. Uh, anyway, if if we're if we haven't made it clear, if you've never seen Tank Girl, you should watch it. It's peak mid 90s. It's actually based off a comic book that no one ever fucking read. It's got everybody in it like fucking Iggy Pop is in this is in that movie. Uh, I want to say McDonald. Ian McDonald is in it. Uh, I want Ice T is generations in it. fame. Yeah, was I Ice-T mean, it is. Oh, yeah. He was the uh, I mean, he was. And I hate to put it so he was the one black guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just true. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a good one, and you should uh, you should go. It, it's interesting that Tank Girl never really gets banded around as a one of the comic book greats. I always go to Blade as my favorite comic book movie, but Blade is the whole reason the MCU exists. Absolutely, uh, there was a 
because I, I know that was Kevin Feige's first production job. It was like Marvel trying to do their own movies, sort of. And, uh, you know, obviously they worked with New Line on it and that sort of thing, but they were more like directly involved for the first time. Uh, and that rave scene is just like all timer as far as like a start of the movie I, is again, concerned. was working in the movie theater when that came out and uh, my girlfriend who worked in the cafe and I would go in and watch that rave scene every time uh, while we had the movie. Who who was the woman that played the vampire Tracy at the Lord. beginning? Tracy Lawrence. I knew it was somebody like famous, but not as an actress. Mm. I was Tracy Lawrence. Of course, you know her from her uh, DJ career. Absolutely not as a porn star. No, definitely not as a porn star. Um, okay, so there's a backs- fourth person in this little uh, trio that we have now. Because, as I said, we put our most important people in that type two shuttle, which crashes, and that is Tuvok, uh, your security chief, which whoever cares about that it's your best pilot and then also your backup doctor uh and then your primary doctor we got the emh in there and he's got his little you know hypertech thing i don't know they never really say what the fuck they were doing in that shuttle in the first place like what would bring those three people together in a death cart but uh his emitter got damaged and tom who the the scene where they're putting the emitter back together like I got a question for you, Joe. Is Tom Paris a Mary Sue? Ooh. Because. Ooh, he, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, he is the best pilot in probably all of Starfleet. Correct. He is the only other capable medical professional on Voyager. That is uh, correct. He is a accomplished uh, holodeck holo designer. He is an expert mechanic in 20th century combustion technology, as well as retro vacuum tube crap that he used to fix Satan's butthole or a Satan's robot. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also, uh, he is a warp theory uh, propulsion expert, as we found out in um, the trans warp episode threshold. threshold and yeah. he's apparently better at fixing small electronics than the Vulcan is. So like, yeah, he's got some personality quirks and is a fucking convict. Oh, I'm sorry. And he's an expert survivalist, uh, in, uh, ultra violent, um, uh, 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 space prisons. Yeah. Space prisons, you know, and he knows his way around a prison shank, like, and he's really good at like pulling guns on demigods. Q in the gray. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, he's got some real personality quirks, but like, is there anything he's not good? Oh, and he's a ladies man. I guess he's not good at not going to prison. Like, that's his character flaws. He just keeps winding up in jail like, you know, when you get trapped on uh, Space Boddicker's, you know, ship jail, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the shoot jail. 30 days jail like he's just as he's he just that's his flaw that's his flaw the, is he can't avoid jail you know, that is his key to being a mary sue some mary sues always know the answer to fix the problem whatever it is tom's mary sue power is on top of the fact he's good at everything it's he can always get dragged off to a jail situation which always indirectly resolves whatever the main conflict is you know I think if you were to look at the multiverse and and all the other different way timelines could have played out, I bet you most of the times if Voyager crew members hadn't been dragged to jail, they wouldn't have ended up coming out on top by the end of the episode. So I I think that's that's like his long shot 
Scarlet Witch mutant powers. If Jail's involved, they're going to win at the end of the day. But he's an expert tech and he fixes the doctor and the doctor pops back in and is like, what the hell's going on? And they're like, yeah, we crash landed and it sucks. And also apparently now battery is an issue for you. So we cannot have you on all the time. Um, and uh, it's going to be sad because you're going to have to live in the off mode for a very long time. It's their way of, you know, being able to use him sparingly rather than like have the entire plot of the episode solved by let's send our invernal hologram to go do it, which at least they provided a reason why they had to turn him off <laughs> like that. Apparently mobile mode on the emitter does have like limits um, as far as is how long he can stay active on it, which makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. I believe 100 percent that that thing can't operate indefinitely. Um, I. I, I'm thinking about that crash landing. And if you look at the shuttle damage, like it's ridiculous that anybody even managed to survive. I think when the whole ass. Yeah, the whole ripped. thing is just like completely falling apart. Like, what the fuck? Why the fuck are Tom and Tuvok alive at all? This like, bullshit. Don't show the shuttlecraft that banged up. <laughs> They'd be like, the only person who got hurt is the guy made out of like 29th century hypertech. I was thinking about it too, like. Shouldn't yeah, the doctor be able to be whatever he wants? Like, shouldn't it be like some super friends crap where as they're they're going and like he can wonder twin power and like turn into a big pillow and just catch everybody in his like a big beach ball <laughs> that just bounces harmlessly off the walls? Why does he always have to be just the EMH? Do you remember in this episode when Tuvok asked for a damage report on the shuttle while they're in it? And it's like. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know why Tom didn't just like turn to the gaping hole that is like the roof and say, I don't think it's going to fly anymore. Commander. I think, I think we're stuck. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe because we go into space in this, we would suffocate. <laughs> we got a lot of new sunroofs, man. I don't think this is going to look very good for us. Let's summarize the bad part of the plot quickly. Okay. Tom Paris. Yes. Tom Paris is the worst person to be stuck uh, on a planet with when Tank girl wants to fuck you like that is guaranteed solid gold. Worst person. Like Here's he's just filled with bad advice and being an asshole. Yeah. Yes. And yes. Uh, they have had Tom and Tuvok at odds in the past, and they have been very cordial at other times. And I think Tom knows that Tuvok has pulled him out of a couple hairy situations. And at the end of the day, Tuvok mostly has Tom's back. So I think Tom's really an unnecessary asshole through a lot of this. And there's a lot of conflicting shit that happens in here that I'm just going to say is bad writing. Right. Because as we find out, as they are stuck for months on this planet, Tom starts lecturing Tuvok when it becomes clear that, Hey, uh, uh, tank girls DTF. Right. And he's like, right. listen, you need to throw it in there because we're never getting back to the ship. And this is our life now. And then Tuvok's like, Hey, I'm married. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You're never going to see her. And it's kind of the same talk he's given a few other people before about, you know, this is life now. And we need to get used to it and whatever. Yeah. And like, all, I think he had the same conversation with Harry at one point. Yes, he? he did. Because because Harry has cavewoman girlfriend, right? Yes, he does. Yes. Who has never been mentioned since uh, Space Cougar Planet, I want to say. We get through all of this, you know, badgering that's coming out of Tom. But it's like it seems really hypocritical. Bad boy Tom. How is he going to sit there and point the finger at Tuvok? Like, 
Tom should be the one who is going after Tank Girl. Maybe Tank Girl shot him down. Maybe that's a scene that had to happen. But like, why would Tom care so much about Tuvok hooking up with her and not try to do that himself? And and the 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 excuse, the only excuse there is I miss Balana and I love Balana. And that completely undermines his entire uh point of attack on on Tuvok's reasons for not going after her. So, I mean, you could read into the idea of maybe Tom thinks that they're going to get off this planet, that Voyager's going to – I think, in fact, he says that he expects that Voyager will come get them at some point. Uh, and and may, early on, maybe that yes. changes. But, like, Tuvok's never going to possibly see his wife again, no matter what, was, I think, what he was trying to say. Like, Fair there point. was a chance that Tom would see Bolana again at some point. Uh, but – Next to no chance that Tuvok sees his wife. So it's like, he's like, come on, man. You know, if your wife is as logical as you, she's like gone and shacked up with another guy by now anyway. So you might as well get it in there. And it's stupid and it's still terrible and it's bad writing. And he comes off like this complete dickhead. But at least I think there is a reason, quote unquote, for it. Again, I think that if anybody had this and and here's what I would like to see in this episode, right? This is going to shock you that I'm going to bring it up. This should have been a Tuvok Neelix pairing. Shock. I'm shocked. I know that's the last thing you ever. I think that initially it should have been Neelix on the shuttle instead of the doctor. Uh, and it should have been Tom, Neelix, and, and Tuvok. Neelix has a very unique relationship with Tuvok in the wake of Tuvix, which nobody wants to admit happened, but did happen. And I want to see them in these stressed situations. And then, you know, I, I talked last episode about how it's been a long time since we've seen bro time between Neelix and Tom. And I think that's very earned, but had this conversation happened and this badgering come from Neelix towards two box with a little bit less like bro, put it in and a little bit more, you need to adapt emotional, fluidity because because tom just basically comes off like he's like dude you know dude why aren't you putting it in like he might as well like you know been like what are you gay or something like that's <laughs> almost the degree this thing goes to until he twists it at the end so this is about this girl's emotions and this and it's so uncharacteristic for tom but it's right in neelix's wheelhouse and again neelix knows tuvok perhaps better than tuvok knows himself and i think you could have had some really cool character growth and it would have made sense that Tuva or Neelix wasn't trying to move in on this girl. And I think this entire subplot would have worked way, way better, but instead I completely agree with you upon reflecting on what you've had to say, Neelix would have been a far better choice here and anything that he would have said would have been much more credible than anything Tom had to say, even if what Tom said was less douchebaggy. Yes. I don't know if it could possibly have been any worse than what he said. So fucking and, I know. And first but. Tom comes in with like, hey, hook up with her because your wife's not going to ever be around again. And then he comes back and says, listen, man, I'm so sorry that, you know, I hurt your feelings saying your wife's dead and you're never going to see her again. Uh, but then let me pick the fight back up. <laughs> like It's the shittiest <laughs> apology ever. And then later on, there'll be an encounter where. Tuvok's trying to meditate on the edge of a rock and Tom comes and starts more shit and like gets real confrontational and just again way unnecessarily shitty like I feel that with all of the growth Tom has had over the past couple episodes that this is some real 
first season Tom we're seeing here. It feels very uncharacteristic. And again, if it's going to be first season Tom, he should have been trying to to go after Nas himself. So, uh, but the, the second round is like show emotion, give up on logic, blah, blah, blah. And that's where we have like the bridging of why do we have all this early Tuvok footage and Tuvok's like, here's a story about how I fell in love and abandoned logic and it almost, you know, led me down a real path of destruction and I can't abandon my morals. And then Tom's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a perfect example of what happened. Like yeah. that explanation is perfectly. Like, oh, okay. That's a All direct right, quote whatever. out of uh, memory alpha. Now that's like, fucking summarize. Yeah, the whole thing right there. Speak, speaking of memory alpha, man, they couldn't, it was just like normal memory alpha content. They just cannot blow themselves hard enough over this episode. I do not. I do not get it. Um, you know, the the romance never I hate to say like the romance never is, is credible because the actress playing the person has such an annoying voice that I just don't want it to be on screen. But that's really where I was at. Like all of her lines, I just wanted to die when she spoke like not only is she it's it's one thing when she's speaking in normal, complete sentences in English, but for most of the episode, it's very like halting. I'm learning how to speak English. I, I, I want to read you my note. OK, if Tank Girl's like the entire pre her learning English, she's basically talking like Ralky Balboa in the middle of a boxing match. It's the laziest except like this. Hey, oh, yeah. Oh my god! Like, I love you, Tuvok. I want to kiss you, Adrian. Adrian. It's terrible, and I don't blame <laughs> Tuvok for not wanting anything to do with that. Of course, Tuvok does, and there's this terrible, you know, conflict in him of what his heart wants and what his emotions want versus what his logic will allow him. But uh, again, for what should have been a very soft touch, tender, endearing role, um. You've got something that's about as charming as a pin cushion uh, with with hepatitis on the needle tips. It's <laughs> <laughs> Tank Girl is hepatitis. All right. That's an even better. Who title. looked at Tank Girl and said, you know what? There's a there's a romance waiting to happen here, especially because they did this episode already and they did it better with Alter yeah. Ego. Like all the all that episode was missing was like the flashback scenes, which I agree added a lot you know, to the kind of lore of Vulcans. Like, they've done this, and they, it's like, why do it again? Like, this actually would have been more interesting if they just had Tom have to deal with, like, this lady coming on to him and be like, hey, hey, yo, no, I got a girlfriend, you know, and like... What a great growth episode for Tom. Yeah, actually showing his commitment to Bolana by, like, thinking he's stranded here, be like, no, I love her, and I'm not gonna betray her memory, even if I don't think I'm gonna ever see her again. Let's talk about that, Joe. Because Tom was a shitbag, Tom was a womanizer, Tom uh, fucked all of the holograms twice. Tom possibly always... both the Delaney sisters. You know, like you never know. I, I'm willing to put money on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Tom falls in love with uh, Belana Torres and has a very awful, abusive relationship—a mutually abusive relationship. Hot ass seven of nine shows up. Tom never even has to come to grips and say, like, man, do I want to be with this stacked blonde or my hot rod girlfriend who I seem to hate? Like the closest he ever comes to 
having to address the fact like that he is monogamous with her and not a cheater is vis-a-vis where he has like a bromance with the test pilot who chokes him out and steals his body. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I would say there was maybe some emotional cheating that could have been there, but they very clearly avoid any sort of sexual or real relationship there. So like the fact that Tom ends up this perfect monogamous boyfriend is very unearned and a, a terrible oversight, I think for a season what was at four is where they really start doing that. I think so. Yeah. So whatever it's, it's stupid. And then there's, you know, going to be some scabby attacks later on. And of course, as time lines up, it's the worst possible moment. Switching over to the cool part of the episode, out in space, we find out that Voyager has not heard from the shuttle in an hour, and they go to look for it, and they almost get sucked into a space butthole that did not show up on sensors, and they very narrowly get out. They find out that this is some sort of Pretty cool uh, interstellar booby trap-ish deal yeah. where there's a whole sector, there's like a whole solar system inside this microcosm. And while they're in astrometrics, figuring this out, uh, some space scabbies come along and slap a tractor beam on Voyager. And we get a pretty cool shot of uh, Harry Kim with his big boy pants on. The... Yeah, Harry actually is manning the bridge as as the officer in command when the uh, scabby supervisor shows up. Literally, he's the scabby supervisor. I did. I do agree that the plot of Interstellar has a strong resemblance to several of the tropes here. There's a Uncanny. black hole. There's a number of planets in the black. The difference here being is that this is like some like basically a pocket of subspace that there's a planetary system in for no reason anyone can figure out. They're like everyone is like this is fucking weird, which is cool, right? Oh, we found a weird thing in space. We can't explain. That's that's what we do. Uh, but yeah, like the time dilation part, all of yeah makes you wonder. <laughs> like, did you guys uh? You guys watch a little Star Trek and think no one would notice. Like uh, it's a little close here, boys. Like, but mm-hmm. it's still it's a cool sci-fi idea, and it's a shame that this cool idea gets so wasted on uh, an A plot because th- that is terrible. Like this is the B plot. The B plot is like not much time passes on Voyager. Uh, like a couple days uh, is months for the boys on the planet. And uh, they're dealing with the scabby supervisor who just wants to blow it up because ships keep falling in and they keep losing people. Like, like, and again, so this is where I get pissed at the episode and and season five of Voyagers that you have introduced a very two dimensional alien antagonist that isn't really that unreasonable until they have to hit like that hard programming line where they're like, now we must ignore common sense and be needlessly antagonistic for the space garbage people it was uh dumping poison into space rather than adopt sweet federation technology for these guys are like hey listen there is a huge like there's a niagara falls of death over there uh this is like chernobyl (laughs) up in here you guys need to be real careful we're putting that tractor beam on you not to like start ship but because you're gonna get sucked in and we're trying to save you and they're like, well, we don't need your help. And it's like, well, how nice for you. We're trying to do you a favor. Try and show a little gratitude. And they're like, we think we got a shuttle in there. And like, yeah, we got tons of dudes in there. This thing is a fucking big problem. 
we've actually been dispatched to like close the hole up so no other people die in there, which seems pretty fucking legit, right? Like there's no way to get anything out. And all of Janeway, scientist Janeway, I like seeing scientist Janeway. I've really come to appreciate like having a uh, a dedicated scientist. You know, Picard was a, I don't even want to use Picard as a fucking example on stuff. You get, I don't know what the hell Kirk was supposed to be. You get, you get a badass. Kirk, Kirk was a ta- Kirk was a tactical officer, which is reflected in his command style. Uh, the uh, Cisco was an engineer. Uh, uh, Picard was a diplomat, and you know, Janeway's a scientist. There's actually been a good mix amongst all of the Berman era Trek or all the Trek leaders as to what their backgrounds are. So you know, you got scientist Janeway on it, and she's like, "Man, all the stuff I'm seeing on this says it's a one way street in there, and this is a there's no way for us to fix this." So again, the Scabby's strategy of collapsing the entrance and making this part of space safe again, pretty legit. But then, when they shoot that multiphasic probe off, is that the goddamn probe from uh, Yeah? Night? Yeah, that's the probe, man. It's the probe from like that they had to retrieve on the planet with the, the space race that cost dozens of lives that nobody ever explained why this probe was so important. Like, I'm glad yes. to see it getting some use. They shoot the probe in there. They're like, oh, my God, our guys are still alive. There's a whole fucking solar system in there. There's like five planets and our guys are in one of the planets. So who even knows who's still in this thing? Like, this is this is some pretty high stakes on this. <laughs> when Jamie goes, listen. Uh, I think we got a shot of getting our people out of there. And the guy's like, well, you got 24 hours and I'm going to collapse a hole. And they're like, she's like, but nope, thumbs the rules. So we have very little seven of nine, which I have to imagine the rest of this season is going to be real seven heavy because we have not seen a lot of seven in what feels like a few episodes now. But they say, here's our plan. Great. Let's get things rolling around. And wouldn't you know it, those damn blue collar space scabbies, they decided to start early because they were ready. And this is where they start really hitting peak two-dimensional villain status. Like, where the voyagers and open communications, like, we can get our people out. We can get your people out. And they're like, nope, don't care. We're just going to push forward and try and trap everybody forever and start shooting our lasers at the hole. Like, this is uh, time and again. No, not time and again. What was it? What was it? Goddamn. The, the candy corn tragedy. That, that's, that that's was time and to, again. Was that time and again? That was time and again. Yeah, the, the, the big. Tra- I mean, you nailed it. That was correct. I was like, wait a second. What is he referencing? Like this Janeway nailed that that space hole with a fucking phaser, <laughs> and that's that's what these dudes are doing, just shooting guns in the hole, and that's how they're going to fix it. Which, sure, whatever seems legit. And uh, that's when we really become aware of the time dilation that's going on. So, what has been. 24 hours for Voyager has been at least three, perhaps four plus months for uh, Tuvok and co. And she says, hey, they shoot a a message in, which it's cool because it's like super slow motion. So they have to speed it up. And it says, be at these coordinates uh, in eight hour, 10 hours, because we're going to beam you out of there. The entire pocket reality is collapsing. So we get one shot at this make account. And once you know it, the planet side space cabbies pick that exact moment to really start their nonsense. The way that it's working out is that there's an extended firefight on the planet. At the same time, there's this quick exchange that's happening in space and they do a good job of like cutting between the two and to, to kind of like keep the action going. 
Uh, but the problem is, is that you, a lot of the details of what happened on the extended fireflight, uh, fireflight on the uh, surface is never quite fleshed out or explained. But uh, you get some real tried. decisions. The first being that Nas is going to go out and try and keep the shield generator working by herself, which is just a setup for her getting overwhelmed. I really had my money on her dying in this episode. I thought this was going to be two box emotional baggage is that, you know, her blood was going to be on his hands. So I was surprised that she ends up living, but she goes off on her own stupidly. And, you know, the shield fails and then two box going to come out and whip some more scabby ass because that's what he was born to do. Meanwhile, in the, you know, the Voyager scenes, like, space scabs are shooting the guns and like no stop we can save everybody we got like legit plan on this never any point to discuss like hey maybe we should just fuck these guys up and make them run home like we got three people tied up in this thing and who knows however many hundred other people trapped in here like let's just beat these guys ass leave them adrift we'll beam everybody out give them their people back and then collapse a butthole but this is or, you, know, you would think that the the that the scabbies on the planet would be like hey uh, like at any time of like, we're all stuck down here together. We're all space people. Maybe we can figure out a fucking way out of here. Like at no time does a single scabby on the planet attempt to negotiate. They 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 might as well just be just 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 goons. You know, they're just they're just going animals. back to EverQuest. They're just fucking they're piranhas just in the in the river yeah. trying to fucking bite you. They're mindless orcs attacking the high elf city. It's stupid. It's fucking stupid. And for all the other times that Voyager seems quick to, you know, quick to draw and, and keen to stay in a prolonged firefight, it doesn't need to be there for Janeway and Chakotay don't even discuss like shooting warning shots or anything. But by the end, everybody gets together. They beam four people out of there. Uh, you know, Tank Girl gets to come along. Everybody else on the planet who is, you know, dozens and dozens of people. And that's just the space gabbies. Who knows who else is fucking living on these things or what's going on in those other planets? Those all collapse. Everything dies. It's some real depressing stuff. Maybe if they really stop to give a fuck about it, which they don't. Uh, Harry's there to receive him in the transporter room. He seems amazed that there's an extra person beaming up, which I don't know. Like, that was a big <gasps> What? Why? How how could that be that you found some fucking life form on the planet that's coming with you? That we've never done that shit before in Starfleet. Oh uh you know, there's not even a uh an empty gesture of like you should stay with us and be part of the crew. They're just like, all right, we're gonna get rid of you. If we're not keeping Dr. Pell and we're not keeping Sarah Silverman, we're sure as fuck not keeping your expensive ass. So all right, Tank Girl, we're gonna get rid of you. And rather than broaching any sort of like genuine emotional closure between you and Tuvok, not that it would be earned in the slightest. He's going to slap a quick mind meld on you and you're like, huh? Okay, thanks. And, uh, and then we the wrap things up. The mind meld was Tim Russ's idea because apparently in the script, he was supposed to give her a, a kiss and a hug. And, and in that, in that respect, I actually think that was correct. Like that. He's like, this is the right way to like for him to communicate how he feels. I get sure. it. But at that point, I don't fucking care. Like I was just like, yeah, it's over. I could have turned this fucking episode off. And that was my actual reaction to that moment was, is this it? Fuck? Yes. All right. I'm done with this. This took um, me forever to get through. Like I, I want to say this episode was at least three hours for me to finish watching. Cause 
the dishes needed to get done and I'd rather play with my kids than than watch this. This was um I definitely paused mine to give my dog a walk. <laughs> like that was that was what I did. It wasn't terrible. You know, no. there was a lot of good stuff. It wasn't a waste of time. I think this is a great example of a Voyager bottle episode that just doesn't matter and there's no real growth to come out of it. There's some cool background on Tuvok, which uh his his again, him being a complete character, it's interesting to see him in his incomplete earlier moments, whether it's back on the Excelsior or in uh emotional Jedi Wizards uh logic boot camp. Uh, but yeah, if you had given me Neelix in there, I think we could have had some real magic happen. And then just some rando playing low interest. Just anyone but Tank Girl. Yes. That, that dragged it down more than anything. Any single thing. I just can't stand her voice. And, you know, I aside from uh, whoever that non-actress is that played the the person who said JL all the time on Picard. Mm, Raffy. Raffy. Yeah, I almost forgot her name. That was a real blessed moment there. <laughs> um, aside from that actor, this might be the second worst person to be in Star Trek. That's um, wow. That's that's potent, Joe. I just I I actively disliked her opening her mouth. I just wanted I wanted to rip my ears off in displeasure. So one last blowjob for Neelix on this one. Okay. Well, we always like giving Neelix blowjobs here on V'ger, please. Go dude, on. That fucking picture real quick. So uh, yeah. we haven't talked about the trauma. Yo, yo. <laughs> that was talk about cursed images. Who fuck did that? Who I don't fuck know. Did that? I don't. I want to. Hold block on. I'm them. looking it up. I'm looking that shit up right now because they need deserve acknowledgement on the air for what they did. OK, so the V'ger, please trauma support group. You know, we we. It's a we, Facebook group. We pride ourselves on having a fun fan community as a closed Facebook group. Anyone can join. You just have to ask. We just keep it closed so people can't see what you post, you know, your grandmother. And this is a perfect example as to why Chris uh, did this. And uh, Chris uh, posted a picture of a couple pieces of it looks like roasted oven roasted turkey on a piece of cheese on a on a on a couple uh, on a on a piece of bread. It's called a sandwich. It's a sandwich. It's an open face sandwich. It's a sandwich, yeah. But the way that the turkey is laid out on on the sandwich, um, if you were to put a head on it, it would look like the seductive back of someone with a looking over their shoulder and seeing some thick thighs and ass, and it's Neelix's head photoshopped on this fucking turkey sandwich. It is revolting. I look at I, I look at some real raw nasty garbage on the internet that is just the fucking worst and i laugh about it and i saw this goddamn turkey sandwich with neelix looking in this it's like the outer skin of the turkey where it's like oven roasted what like this looks scabby going down like that would probably look like what his ass looked like and it was so like i really i my stomach turned and i felt like i was gonna throw up i had to stop looking at it i i hid the post like I, I couldn't, so I couldn't much. stop looking at it, and that is what disgusted me about myself. It disgusts me just... about you too. There's something fucking wrong with you, man. <laughs> Chris, as an all-time uh, cursed image, uh, well done. That that that. I'm sick thinking my days. about it. So, anyways, <sighs> Neelix, who is forever now a slutty turkey sandwich. <laughs> uh 
you know, he's got this scrappy traitor origin. He's he's fucked with the Kazon before. Like, it would have been really cool to see new Jack Neelix rear his head up again and be like, all right, guys, I'm going to show you what life is like out in the, the Mad Max post-apocalyptic shitty runes living off of uh, crashed spaceships. Like, they could have done some really cool stuff with this, and it's it's a shame they instead made Tom look like a real bitch, which isn't hard to do as I, the writers have shown us. <laughs> yeah. But, All right. Let's close the book on this one, man. What are we watching you. next week? Uh, season five, episode 14 bliss. And we have a shot of Voyager flying over some frozen asteroids, which is basically uh, out of the Voyager uh, intro. Voyager discovers what seems to be a wormhole leading to the alpha quadrant and home. Images of Earth and letters from family elate the crew. Something tells me there's going to be some deception and that people are going to be getting jerked around. Joe, do you remember Bliss? I do quite well. It uh, heavily features one of your least favorite things. Tank girl? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it, this, is a, this is a heavy uh, use of Naomi Wildman. Well, just want to make sure you go in with expectations, that lowered expectations are, that are tempered by the reality of a lot of Naomi Wildman. I will say that it is a clever use of specific members of the Voyager crew for a specific plot orientation um, that that I think it is. It is not, it uses Naomi Wildman for a good plot reason. So right. hopefully that helps. All right. Well, thanks to everybody uh, listening to us here at Feature, please. Uh, as Peter mentioned earlier, we did a special Patreon exclusive episode reviewing and mostly just discussing the cultural impact of uh, the finest Trek movie, not a Trek movie. And that being Galaxy Quest uh, it should be up before the end of the month of July. If you'd like to get a crack at that, you can support us on Patreon, uh, but don't feel the need. We just love to hear, uh, we just love for you to hear us, to accept uh, us into your ear holes. Uh, so listen and subscribe to us on whatever platform you wish to, to, to get your podcasts from, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, your RSS feed, whatever that is. And uh, tell others, share the podcast, you know, share it with your friends, because true hatred, it spreads like a disease. And on that note, 